the live stream. We're also glad to have you with us. And by the way, if uh, you have, don't have any physical uh, limitations that impede you from coming, we would love to have you here and to see you and to worship with you. Um, let me just give you just one quick announcement uh, before we begin, and that is that on April 3rd, uh, the ladies uh, will be having a, a fellowship lunch immediately following the service. Uh, so if you, are, uh, if you are a lady, um, I hope that you will try to, as best as you can, to put that on your calendar and try to be there for that. It should be encouraging uh, and a, a good time as well. And so we are, uh, we are gathered, and we're going to uh, come before the Lord to worship Him. And uh, one passage of Scripture, and specifically in Corinthians, tells us that we are being de- uh, changed, that God's people are being changed from one degree of glory uh, to another. And in some ways, right, we resemble uh, those who are closest to us, whether it's a parent or somebody in our family who's very close to us. And in some ways, we might wish that we could sort of pick and choose the things that we might want to resemble because we might resemble some things that we wish we didn't resemble. And even when it comes to, if you think about the world, the world also seeks to conform us into its image and have us resemble more or have a greater resemblance towards the world. And maybe if you come this morning and you uh, find yourself resembling more of the world than more of Christ. But it's a good thing that we are here because this is what we're here for. We're here to behold Jesus Christ, to behold him through our time together in fellowship, to behold him through the word, to behold him through prayer, and to behold him uh, through worship as we sing together. And so Christ means to show us himself so that we may behold him and also be conformed into his image and resemble more of his person. And so let us come before the Lord this morning with humility, asking the Lord to, to change us and to continue to conform us into the image of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Worship. Amen. The Word of God says, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. Let's worship him this morning. Should nothing of our effort stand, no legacy survive, unless the Lord does raise a house in vain its builders strive to you who boast tomorrow's gain tell me what is your life a mist that vanishes at dawn all glory be to christ all glory be to christ our king All glory be to Christ. His rule and reign will ever sing. All glory be to Christ. His will. His will be done. His kingdom come on earth as is above. Himself our daily bread, praise Him, the Lord of love. Living water 
Savior satisfied the thirsty without price. We'll take a cup of kindness, yet all glory be to Christ. All glory be to Christ our King. continuing worship this morning. Come behold. Come behold the wondrous mystery in the dawning of the day. He the theme of his praises lived in frail humanity and in our longing in our darkness So much truth in that. That's why we worship you, Father. Come behold the wondrous mystery. He, the perfect Son of Man, is living in his suffering, never trace or stain of sin, or see the true within. Save the hellbound man, Christ the great and sure fulfillment of the law in him we stand. 
Christ mystery, Christ the Lord upon the tree. In the set of ruined sinners hangs a lamb in victory. And see the price of redemption. See the Father's plan unfold, bringing many sons to glory, grace unmeasured, love untold. Oh, come behold the wondrous mystery Slain by death, the God of life But no grief could ever restrain him Praise the Lord, he is alive What a foretaste of deliverance Wavering our hope, Christ in power, resurrected as we will be when he. What a foretaste! What a foretaste of deliverance! How unwavering our hope, Christ in power, resurrected. As we will be when he comes. Lord, we worship you, Father. Be worthy of our together let no one caught in sin remain let no one caught in sin remain inside the eye of inward shame the face that lies upon the cross and run to him who should bring love and glad freely you bled Christ is risen and Christ is risen from the dead trampling over death by death come awake come awake come and rise up from the grave Christ is risen from the dead one with him again. Come awake, come awake, come and rise up from the grave. Lord, continue worship beneath the weight. Beneath the weight of our sin, you bow to none but heaven's will, no scheme of hell, no scoffer's crown, no burden great can hold you to Lord strength. You reign forever. 
church, let your church proclaim. Sing together, Christ is risen. Christ is risen from the dead, trampling over death by death. Come awake, come awake, come and rise up from the grave. Christ is risen from the dead, we are one with him again. Come awake, come awake, come and rise up from the grave. A church, let's sing together. Oh, death. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, hell, where is your victory? Oh, church, Come sin in the light, the glory of God has defeated the night. Singing, oh, death, where is your singing? Oh, hell, where is your victory? And oh, church, come sin in the light. Is not dead, he's alive, he's alive. Christ is risen from the dead, trampling over death by death. Come awake, come awake, come and rise up from the grave. Christ is risen from the dead, we are one with him again. Come awake, come awake. Come and rise up from the grave. Christ is risen from the dead, trampling over death by death. Come awake, come awake. Come and rise up from the grave. Christ is risen from the dead. We are one with Him again. Come awake, come awake. Come and rise up from the grave. Yes, Lord. Father, we worship you this morning as a body, as a church, as believers in Christ Jesus. Believers, Lord, in the gospel of Jesus Christ, where, not, where he not just died for our sins, but rose again victoriously, Lord, uh, defeating death and conquering sin and death, Lord. And, and in that, we, we, sing, glo- we sing glorious uh, praises, Lord, to your name, for your worthy of our praise. Father, I pray now that you may lead us um, into time of prayer and in your word. May you continue, Lord, to speak to us um, um, through your spirit and in your word, Father. We ask you this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let me read to us from 1 Corinthians 15, verses 48 to 49, and then we'll, we'll pray. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Amen. Let's go to the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, what a... What a peculiar passage this is. 
specifically when it talks about this, this man of heaven. It's so strange to think that, that there is this man of heaven. Because if we understand what man is, man is, is sinful. Man is inherently from the dust. What man could ever be from heaven? But we know that there is one who is the man of heaven, who is the son of man, and that is Jesus Christ. That he is not only holy and righteous and perfect, full of divinity, that he is the very God of very God, that this Son of Man is God, and at the same time be like us, and yet without sin. And so, Jesus, we we worship you this morning. We praise you for who you are, because you are this perfect combination of one who is divine and one who is also like us, sent to redeem us from our very sins, to redeem us and purchase us and and save us from hell so that we may have eternal life, so that we may have forgiveness of sins, so that we may have a merciful and faithful high priest who understands our weaknesses, who understands our temptations, and can intercede on our behalf. And so we thank you, Jesus, for being the God-man who is even now, as we gather together, and as we pray, who is by the Spirit conforming us into your glorious image. And with that, Lord, we do come before you, and we admit and we confess, God, that there are so many times that we resemble the man of dust, the first man, this who is our, and essentially who is our father, and that is Adam. That probably more times than we care to admit that we are like him rather than the second Adam who is Christ. Lord, there is unrighteousness in our lives. We do sin and we confess those sins to you. We confess our iniquities. We confess our transgressions, Lord. We admit that sometimes we do resemble the first man and that there are even times when we may not even desire to change. But Father, we thank you that Even still, you draw near to us, and that you do not push us away, but your word tells us that if we come before you, we confess our sins, that you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we thank you for the forgiveness that you have given to us through Jesus Christ, We thank you for your spirit who is working in us to conform us more into the image of Jesus Christ. And God, we pray that you would continue that great and good work in us. Help us each and every single day to resemble the person of Christ. 
And as this passage in Corinthians continues, it says that one day this perishable body will put on, what is it, imperishable, and that this mortal body will put on immortality. Therefore, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor, your labor is not in vain. Lord, would you help us to be steadfast, help us to be immovable, help us to abound in the work of the Lord, knowing that our work in the Lord is never in vain. And God, we pray also this morning for those of us who may be struggling in our Christian walk. We pray for those who may be in a difficult season. Maybe temptations are fierce. Maybe there's conflict in the workplace. There may be some of us, Lord, who are just in a season of suffering. And all these things remind us that we still wear this perishable body. And sometimes having this perishable body while still resembling the image of Christ because of the Spirit who is in us makes life that much more difficult. And so we pray and ask, God, that you would graciously help your people and that you would bear them up in the midst of hardship and suffering. That your people might be steadfast, that they would have the same steadfastness as Jesus when he was only moments from crucifixion and still prayed that the Lord's will would be done. That your people, Lord, that you would give them strength, Lord, that they might be immovable as Christ was on the cross, still doing the will, the will of the Lord, who could have at any moment called down a legion of angels to rescue him, but still submitted to your will. Lord, would you give your people that kind of strength? And God, would you relieve them in their distress? Would you comfort them? And God, would you give them peace? And Father, we pray also this morning for our sister Reshma as she continues to study and pursue life of missions. Father, we pray that you would be a light unto her feet and a guide unto her path. We pray that you would make the way clear before her as she still wrestles with where exactly you might call her to. And in the meantime, God, we pray that you would give her the ambition of the Apostle Paul who said once before in the New Testament letters that he makes it his personal ambition not to preach Christ where he is already named, but to preach Christ where he has not been named. That you would fill her with that same ambition. And as she continues to wait patiently, Lord, would you help her to be faithful and serving her friends, serving her church, serving those families, Lord, who do not know Jesus in a personal way. And we join with her as she prays for the salvation of her family. God, would you be gracious, God, and save her parents, save her brother, Lord. Cause them to believe, soften their heart, and turn them to faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray, God, for an incredible revival in our air. We pray for revival in New England, Lord. 
we pray that the gospel would permeate in every town, in every city, God, that there would be a grand repentance of people turning to faith in Jesus Christ. We pray for a bold and powerful proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ in churches for the salvation of sinners and to the glory of God. Lord, so we know that we cannot manufacture this. We know that we cannot program this. And so, God, we come before you just asking, God, that you would do this work and that you would help us to hunger for it and to pray for it. That there would be such an incredible response to the gospel of Christ that, like we read in Acts, when people responded to the preaching of the gospel through the lips of Peter, and how people responded and said, what shall we do? That there would be that kind of opportunity. That there would be that kind of questioning. That there would be a turning of hearts to the gospel of Christ. And Lord, we also continue to pray for the war that continues to wage even at this moment in Ukraine. And God, we do pray that you might end this war soon. That it would end with Ukraine remaining as it is. We pray that you would turn this enemy back. God, we pray for the protection of life, Lord, for those who are still there, for women and children, for those in hospitals, for those who cannot get out or are unable to, for children who are still there. God, would you protect them? Would you give them a way out, a way of escape? Would you protect those who are fleeing? Would you protect refugees? Would you graciously, through nations, God, provide for their every need? God, protect them also for those, for those wicked, abominable people who might use this as a way to prey on the weak. And God, we pray that even during these dark times, that there would be a salvation of souls, that there would be a turning of hearts to faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And lastly, God, we come before you this morning and we pray for those who work in engineering. Lord, would you help them each day to give their minds to the responsibilities and the tasks at hand? Would you give them a sharpness of mind to do their work well? Help them to labor diligently with their hands, but also help them to work hard and resembling the person of Christ in the workplace. God, we pray that you would give them favor and that you might also graciously bless the work of their hands. And so we, we trust you, God, for all of these things. And God, we look forward to all that you are going to do. And so we also pray this morning, God, the prayer that you have taught us to pray in the scriptures, which says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
Amen. Please turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 4, and we'll be reading verses 4 through 16. Ecclesiastes 4, we'll be starting at verse 4. Then I saw that all toil and all skill in work come from a man's envy of his neighbor. This also is vanity and is striving after wind. The fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh. Better is a handful of quietness than two hands full of toil and is striving after wind. Again, I saw a vanity under the sun, one person who has no other, either son or brother, that there is no end to all his toil, and his eyes are never satisfied with riches, so that he never asks, for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This also is vanity and an unhappy business. Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Better was a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice. For he went from prison to the throne, though in his own kingdom he had been born poor. I saw all the living who move about under the sun, along with that youth who was to stand in the king's place. There was no end of all the people, all of whom he led. Yet those who come after, excuse me, who come later, will not rejoice in him. Surely this also is vanity, and is striving after wind. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we pray that you might give us eyes to see and behold Jesus Christ. And as we behold Christ, we pray that by the power of your Spirit, that you might conform us into the image of Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. How would you evaluate yourself on a scale from 1 to 10? whether it's maybe self-personal productivity as a parent, how do you evaluate your marriage? And some of us might, be, might have a tendency to set very high bars or standards for ourselves so that we're always disappointed, and some of us might set really low standards and always be feeling like you know, we're, we're pretty good, we're pretty, pretty well off. I had a meeting with a network of pastors recently, and we were talking about prayer, and one particular pastor had mentioned about how he was reading a a Christian book on anger, and they called him to sort of self-reflect on anger, and he considered himself a pretty patient person, not very angry, and so to sort of confirm this, he went to his wife and asked, 
honey, do you, do you think I'm an angry person? And she stood there, and she sort of thought about it. And he was shocked that he even had to think about it because he thought that the answer was so obvious. And come to find out that he was pretty wrong. He actually was a pretty angry individual and needed to repent of that. Right, so we're not always very good at evaluating ourselves, aren't we? Appearance, and sometimes we give an appearance that isn't always reality. What we see is not always what really is. Sometimes we are deceived. We don't really know. And sometimes we actually know and give off a different appearance. The danger of always giving off an appearance that actually isn't reality is that we put ourselves in a position that, where we might actually deceive ourselves to think that appearance, that our appearance is actually reality when it actually isn't. So this morning, I'll sort of I'll give you the, at the very beginning, sort of give you the applicational thrust of this sermon, and that is to self-evaluate. In the scriptures, specifically in the New Testament, actually, that's actually a command to evaluate yourself. Let, take heed lest you fall, or let, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. And so this passage lends itself to evaluating ourselves. What are some things to consider? It's not exhaustive, but it gives us some things to consider as we go about examining ourselves. And we should examine ourselves because ultimately our desire should be as followers of Jesus Christ, to be conformed more and more to the image of Jesus Christ and resemble his likeness. So first, examine your attitude. In verse 4, it says, Then I saw that all toil and all skill in work come from man's envy of his neighbor. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. Now, the teacher, the author of Ecclesiastes, has this tendency to use the word all throughout his letter. And all, the, def- the def- definition or how to interpret the word all is determined by the context because all doesn't always mean all without exception. Sometimes it means that. Sometimes it doesn't. Here in this case, he's not saying that everyone without exception is driven by envy in their work. Right? There's no way he would know that. You would have to be all-knowing to be able to say without hesitation that everybody, without exception, works and is driven to their work with envy. But what he means is generally. Generally, man in general in their work is driven by a sort of envy or jealousy. And toil here or work is not specifically defined for us. I think that's intentional. It's intended to tell us work can be anything, whether it's the nine to five or work that you do at home or working in a particular hobby or working in a particular gift, whether it's musically or artistically. So there's a call here to examine our attitudes for envy. 
because we can certainly be motivated by envy when we see the achievements of others. By just looking and comparing ourselves to others, we can easily be given over to envy and jealousy. Or even just being outperformed at work. A person might be able to handle one or two people who outclass them in their work, but what if it's several people? What if it's many people who outclass you over and over and over again? You're seeing this, and no matter how hard you work, it seems like everybody else is, out, is outperforming you. Anybody like that, almost anybody, could be given to any kind, to, uh, some sort of envy or jealousy in moments like that. With completing projects, surpassing numbers, making more sales, producing something that doesn't quite measure up to what somebody else can produce. All these things can lend itself to being envious. The reason why we should examine ourselves for envy is because envy is actually very unchristian. In fact, in Galatians 5.21, there's a list of sins, and envy is one of them. It tells us that along with drunkenness, orgies, and things like these, envy as well, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, while as believers, as followers of Jesus Christ, who have been redeemed with the blood of Christ through faith in him, right? we don't have to worry that when we, when we have those moments of envy that we somehow disinherit the kingdom of Christ, but this passage at least tells you enough to help you, or probably stronger than just help you, but actually try to command you to stay away from envy. That once you see it, do everything you can to sort of snuff it out, to root it out of your heart, because God takes envy seriously. So we must consider envy. If there is any envy in our hearts, any envious pursuits, any jealous pursuits, we must also ask ourselves, are we given to sloth? That's what verse 5 is calling us to. The fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh. Kind of gives the, the picture of a self-cannibalism. This person doesn't work. This person is given to idleness. This person doesn't want to work. Now, this is sort of an extreme case, and that might not be you. If that isn't the case, then great, I'm glad. Right, nobody should be idle. Nobody should be slothful. That's also another sin that the Lord condemns. But while you may not fall into that extreme, but another question to consider is, well, do you have a slothful attitude? Because you can certainly show up to work day in and day out, but still be slothful. While the first person is motivated in his work by envy and jealousy and rivalry, this person, on the other hand, is not motivated by anything at all. Instead, he approaches work, whatever work looks like for that person, in sort of a careless attitude. And carelessness is certainly an attitude of slothfulness. We may show up, we may do some work, And it gives off this appearance that we might care, but in our attitudes, we might actually not care all that much. 
this person isn't motivated. He's not motivated by the good of his company, not motivated to be better, not motivated even for personal satisfaction, and also not motivated to please the Lord in his work or her work. It's a carelessness that masquerades itself as productivity, perhaps, or diligence. Ephesians 6, verses 5 and 7, it does speak to the relationship between bondservants and their masters, but I think the general application still applies. Bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling with a sincere heart as you would Christ. As you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service, not as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. But this describes the person who doesn't have a careless or slothful attitude towards their work, whatever that work looks like. And if we are to examine ourselves, we must examine ourselves with regards to any careless attitude in our work. Another question to consider is selfishness. Are you selfish? Verse 6, better is a handful of quietness than two hands full of toil and the striving after wind. Again, I saw vanity under the sun. One person who has no other, either son or brother, yet there is no end to all his toil, and his eyes are never satisfied with riches, so that he never asks, for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This also is vanity and an unhappy business. Another contrast here, the other person is slothful. Two hands folded, idleness, doesn't care. This person, on the other hand, has two full hands of work. If you're following along in Ecclesiastes, it says a lot about work, and it says you should take time to rejoice in the work of your hands. You should take time to rest, but this person doesn't do that. They have two full hands of work, when it should be one full hand of work and one full hand of rest. There's a balance there continues to give us the picture of what the good life is. And the good life consists of this balance in the fear of the Lord, which we'll get to later. But this person's manner of life consists in working and working, doesn't care to take rest, doesn't care to enjoy the fruit of his work. Work is a habit of his life. It doesn't, he's not motivated necessarily by envy or rivalry or jealousy, but he just works. That person works tirelessly. And what's worse, the passage seems to indicate that this person works only for himself. This person doesn't have anyone to share his wealth with. He doesn't find someone to work for. This thing goes to show that there's some, there's some kind of meaning and purpose that comes to one's work when they have someone to work for. Now, it's not saying that it's bad to work as a single person, right? You have to take care of your, your needs. You have to take care of the things that you need to take care of in order to have your basic necessities met. But maybe the application for that person who is in that stage of life is pursue marriage. Pursue 
having a spouse, pursue having a family, pursue having someone to work for. But even if that were not the case, maybe a person's been called to singleness, what this looks like for them might be right to, to give. To make sure you are working for someone and not just yourself. In fact, giving is not only a New Testament command, but it's also a fruit of a new identity in Jesus Christ. In Ephesians chapter 4, after telling us of the great transformation that the person experiences from when they were once slaves of sin and they become obedient to God through faith in Jesus Christ, and then goes on to tell us how this new life is applied. It says in 4.28 of the book of Ephesians, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Now, yes, it is dealing directly with those who once were given to a life of stealing. It was a selfishness, but instead they ought to give their life to selflessness by working and giving away some of their proceeds to those in need. But I think the application is still relevant. Right, You work not only to take care of your own needs and the immediate needs of your household and family, but also so that you may have something to share with others in need. God created work and God created man to work. And according to this passage, one of the reasons why we work is not just to produce an income, so we can provide for ourselves or just provide for our immediate family members. And those things are important, but it's also so that we may have something to share with those in need. And I think what we also see from, example, from the example of Acts is that primarily or top of the list is the needs within the household of God. We work to have something to share with those in need. Proverbs twenty-one twenty-six tells us that the unrighteous all day he craves and craves, but the righteous, the righteous gives and does not hold back. It's easy for us to examine our actions because we can see our actions. We do our actions. Right, but our motivations, our desires, our intent, our attitudes may be very different than our actions. And this is why we have, so we have to evaluate ourselves. We have to examine ourselves because Christ Jesus did not go to the cross and rise again from the dead to sort of just only change and transform our outer self, which hasn't happened yet and won't happen until we behold Christ and are transformed from a mortal body to an immortal body. But Christ went to the cross in order to change the inner man, to transform us from the inside out, to transform our hearts. And so therefore, we must work diligently to make sure that our hearts, that our minds, our attitudes, that our intention, our in conformity to the person of Jesus Christ. And so therefore, we must examine our attitudes 
And we must examine also, secondly, our desires. So here I'm going to jump down to verse 13 to 16. Now, I'm not sort of dismissing the middle section, but I'll get to that a little bit later because I want to spend a little bit more time in this middle section of our passage this morning. But in 4.13, it says, Better was a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who, had no, long, who no longer knew how to take advice. For he went from prison to the throne, though in his own kingdom he had been born poor. I saw all the living who move about under the sun. Along with that youth was to stand in the king's place. There was no end of all the people, all of whom he led, yet those who came later will not rejoice in him. Surely this is also vanity and a striving after wind. So the story here, a contrast of an old king and a young poor man, most likely early 20s, poor and yet very wise. We have this old king who probably wasn't keeping up with the times, isolated himself because he would no longer take advice, no longer surrounded himself with counselors. His old age maybe even has become senile. And you have this poor youth ended up in prison probably because of debt, And in his wisdom was able to get out of debt, get out of prison, and even made his way to the king's throne and became a king himself. And this is the people, and this is the the kind of king that the people are following, right? This is a different king. That old guy you see now. Nobody likes him anymore. He's of his old days. He doesn't keep up with the old times. He doesn't keep up with the times. He lives in a different era. We want this young guy who's energetic, who's charismatic, who's full of wisdom, who has all these talents, all these gifts. We want that guy. We want to follow this guy. But what happens? Well, he one day will also become old. And there's the vanity. The people who once followed him may do so for the rest of their life but they also will become old as well. And then a new generation will come about and they won't want the old king anymore. They want a new one. This guy's got better talents. This guy's got better skills. Or it might just even be that the ones who once, the people who once followed the young king and then he became old, well, they don't want him anymore. They've come across a new young king. They want him to be king. The people loved the young king until one moment they didn't. And the thing that this passage brings us to consider is the danger of people pleasing. We must consider the danger of living for man's praise and how futile and how vain it is. And so this certainly is a word for people pleasers. And to some degree, we all should have our hands raised because at some degree, we all struggle with people-pleasing, but some more than others. But we have to avoid people-pleasing. How do we know when we are being driven by the approval of man and people-pleasing? Well, when pleasing others tempts us to avoid doing those things that we, well, we ought to do. When we are tempted to give people what they want or to tell them what they want to hear, even though we know that it's not the truth, or we know that it isn't good for them. 
when you are considered compromising your values and your convictions for the sake of not offending other people, then you know that you're struggling with pleasing others. And this is sort of the drive behind people-pleasing. It's the fear of offending others. And there's certainly some pride in it as well. There might be a, a desire to always want to be liked. And we all, to some degree, understand the futility of people-pleasing. And that is that you can't actually please everybody, no matter how hard you try. Right? I could do something that might please this person over there, but now this person's offended, so I'll do something else that please this person, but now this person's offended, and I'm like, okay, forget you both. I'm going to do whatever this person does to please that person, but now this entire section hates me. Some degree, we all have been there. We know this, right? And if you have ever been or are in a leadership position, you know the risk as well, that almost anything you say or do or any decision that you make runs the risk of offending anybody or everybody. Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon himself struggled with this. And he had once said, with regards to living to man's praise, he has said it in his own mind to fix his heart simply upon this, I know that I have a right motive in what I attempt to do. I am conscious that I endeavor to serve God with a single eye to his glory. And therefore, it is not for me to take praise from man or censure or silence or offense, but to stand independently upon the one rock of right doing. Ultimately, that's what you have to stand on. Right? Because if you're living for man's praise that's like standing on water it's not stable you can't do it you can only stand upon the rock of right doing knowing if you know for sure that you are looking to serve god to his glory and you're conscious you're aware you're wholeheartedly sure that this is the right thing to do then you can go forth in confidence and peace Galatians 1.10, the Apostle Paul once wrote, for, I am, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Right? You cannot live as a Christian for a very long time if you're always striving to please other people. Because the reality is that living as a Christian, your very being, your being conformed to the image of Christ, just your very person, can be offensive to people without you even saying anything at all. You cannot even preach the gospel if you're living for man's praise because just simply telling somebody they need to believe in Jesus will offend somebody. I mean, even Jesus, even Jesus could not please everybody. In John chapter 6, some of you are familiar with that chapter. Telling people, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood. In other words, you must believe in me. You must accept me as your Lord and Savior. You must consume me. I must become your life. And what did many of his disciples do? They were offended and they walked away. And only his 12 remained. The danger of people pleasing as an effort to avoid offending others or to just acquire or 
capture man's praise is that you will always run the risk of offending God. And you certainly will if that is how you live your life. So we must examine our desires and make sure that we are not driven by the praise of others or looking for man's praise in anything that we do. Not that, never mind, we'll get to it later. Thirdly, examine your relationships. Verse 9 tells us, Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. How can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Who do you have with you that you consider a companion or companions? Proverbs tell us in its wisdom that there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Who is that friend or who are those friends in your life that stick closer than a brother or sister? Do you have those kinds of relationships in your life? Because there is danger that we all face. And while it is important for us to evaluate ourselves to engage in self-reflection, we also need others from the outside to look at us as well and help us to evaluate ourselves. You need a friend when you have fallen into sin. You need a true friend who will gently come to you and encourage you and lovingly remind you of the gospel of Jesus Christ. When you are in, when you find yourself in that dangerous position of being in sin. Not only that, but you might also need a friend who will be direct with you as well and tell you as it is. Say, hey, listen, this is dangerous. You need to stop this right now. This is sin. If you continue in this way, not only will you ruin your life, but you will ruin the lives of others. We all need somebody in our lives that will be, speak to us gently, but when we need to, will also speak to us directly. Sometimes we might find ourselves in a pit. Maybe it's a pit of discouragement, of depression, of despair, of sin. In John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress is an allegory of the Christian life. Christian was on his way on his journey to have this, this, this burden of sin removed from his back. He has his companion to travel with who ended up not really being a companion at all. They ended up falling into the slough of, desp of despond. And they're struggling and if they can't get out, then his other so-called companion was angry with Christian because he thought that he led him astray. And so he struggles, he gets out, he leaves Christian there in the pit to struggle on his own. And Christian, no matter how hard he tries, he can't get out because the weight is too heavy. 
But then someone else comes along who's named help, and he comes, gives him his hand, and drags him out. We all need that kind of companion that will pull us out of the pit when we have fallen. Because sometimes we're not able to get out of the pit on our own. We need that help in danger when we are in danger, and we need that help when we are in adversity. Personal struggles may be an adversity. Persecution on account of the faith may be an adversity in your life. It is whatever those things are that present themselves into your life over which you have no control. It is those things that strengthen the the wind of resistance as you continue and struggle and rage against that wind of resistance. It is when the clouds cover the light and you are covered in this darkness when you cannot tell left from right, you cannot tell whether your eyes are open or closed and you have no idea how to get out. It is those moments when the current becomes fiercer as we try to paddle harder and harder against the current. In those moments, would it not be helpful to have someone help you and even stand in front of you to take the brunt of the wind of resistance to help you as you continue to move forward. In those moments, would it not be helpful to have somebody on the boat with you, to pedal with you against the current? In those moments, would it not be helpful to have a friend who knows his way out take you by the hand and lead you out, just as Ananias did to the Apostle Paul when he was blinded by the glory of Christ? We all need someone to help us in adversity. And we also need someone to help us when facing hostility. The Bible teaches us that the Christian is engaged in spiritual warfare. Ephesians 6 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil and the heavenly places. Our enemy is not other people. Our enemy is this this unseen realm. our, Our war is against the devil himself. Our war is against the temptations that we face in the world. Our struggle is against sin. There's a kind of warfare that we are engaged in. There's hostility in every corner. There's temptations in every corner. There's always temptations to stop moving forward. There's always temptations to stop paddling. There's always temptations to to, to wallow and to give in to despair. And what we all need is a friend to encourage us to continue to move on, to keep fighting, to keep walking, until we reach the heavenly homeland. So we must examine ourselves, examine our desires, our attitudes, but we almost also ask ourselves, do we have that person to call on that can help us, that can guide us, that can encourage us, that can strengthen our hands when they can become weak? So lastly, you must examine your life 
because we do have the tendency at times to put on a mask and give off this appearance that all might be right and well when things really aren't. Our actions might show that we're fine, we're good, but our motivation, our desires, our heart, as it might not actually be in the right place. You know what? God sees through the mask. God sees through it all. He sees our hearts. He sees our emotions. He sees our motives. He sees our intent. He sees our deeds. He knows everything that we say or do or even think. And the encouraging thing for us is that the Lord knew this a long time ago. And still Christ came and died for you and I, knowing exactly what we were like. No matter how much we try to hide, the Lord sees who we are, still came, still died, still rose again, and still calls us to draw near. Hebrews 2.11 says, For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified, that is us, all have one source. That is why he, that is Christ, is not ashamed to call them brothers. That even in our sinful tendencies, even when at times we pretend to be what we are not, that Christ is never ashamed to call us his siblings call us family. And so what Christ desires of us is to stop hiding so much and to be transparent, to be transparent with Christ, to be transparent with one another. Right? Because if we're not real with ourselves and we're not real with one another and if we are not real with Christ, then we cannot expect for the Lord through his spirit to continue to change and transform our inner man to bear the resemblance of Jesus Christ. But this is part of the reason why God has given each and every one of us to a body of believers so that we may have this companionship, this camaraderie, this, so that we can have this place where we can be transparent with one another and share our struggles and be in a place where we don't feel like we have to wear a mask and just be real and honest and say, I am struggling with this. Yes, I am prideful. Yes, I am looking for man's pleasure. And I want to repent of those things. And I want to look to Christ. And I want to look to God's people to help me and to encourage me. Christ wants us to strive for proper motivation. Our actions, yes, are important. God cares about those things, but he cares much more about the heart. Proverbs 23, 17. Let not your heart envy sinners, but continue in the fear of the Lord all the day. The fear of the Lord is the, 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 the resounding theme of the book of Ecclesiastes. And here is teaching us that the good life does not consist in rivalry or envy or that kind or the pursuit of accomplishments that is driven by envy and jealousy. It is not a life that is given to selfishness or carelessness. But the good life consists of a proper motivation, and that is a motivation that is driven towards pleasing God. 
that comes from a fear of the Lord. It is living in relationship with God through Jesus Christ. It is loving him and revering him as our heavenly father. When you live in the fear of the Lord, you do not become envious of others. Instead, it lends itself to living in a state of contentment, knowing that God gives to each one according to his will. Because you know that every good thing that you have or what others have comes from God's fatherly hand. Right? We don't, we're not like Peter. When Peter was walking with Jesus towards the end of John chapter 21 on the beach, walking with Jesus, and he turns back and he says, looks at John following them, and he says, Jesus, what about this man? And Jesus says, what is that to you? That was Jesus' kind way of saying, mind your own business, Peter. Right? Sometimes that's what the Lord is, telling, is trying to tell us. Listen, mind your own affairs. What God has given to others, God has given to others. What God has given to you, God has given to you. Mind your business. You come and follow me. Ecclesiastes tells us that the whole duty of man is to fear God and keep his commandments. You know what the New Testament equivalent of that command is? Jesus says it. It's to follow me. That is the whole duty of man. That is the whole duty of the Christian life, to come and follow Jesus. That's essentially what your life and my life is about. Again, a passage in Ephesians 6, 6 to 7. Not by the way of eye service, as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. You work as a bond servant of the Lord. And that prevents you from this attitude of carelessness in whatever work you do. But instead should motivate you to do the best that you can for the honor of God. And if that leads in your workplace to promotion and success, wonderful. Praise the Lord. And if it doesn't, you can still praise God because ultimately you are intending to please the Lord first and foremost in all the work that you do. And when you do, when you work and conduct yourself in a manner that is in the fear of the Lord, following Christ, loving God, loving his people, you not only work for yourself, but you also give back unto God and to those of his people who are in need. So we work to please God. And not to say that we never value the opinions of others. It's not that we never take anyone else's advice or someone else's wisdom. It's not that we never care about what other people think, but we don't do that to the neglect of thinking about what God thinks, or what God desires, or what God wants, or what God commands. Pleasing God comes first and foremost. And if it lends itself to pleasing others, then great. But if those two things are opposite, if they don't align, then your command is to follow the Lord and work to please him. And the root of this people-pleasing, I think, is a, a lack of fear of the Lord. 
when we don't fear God enough, or we don't have enough reverence, like the right kind of reverence that we should, then yes, when we will then revere people more than we will revere God. So what we must do is learn to fear the Lord. Work for His good pleasure. When the fear of the Lord is what motivates everything you do, your actions are not driven by what other people think. But they're first and primarily driven by what God thinks. And we must always take the thoughts and the advice and the wisdom and the opinions of others and compare them to what God desires and commands according to his word. And with regards to evaluating our friendships, right, you need those friends. And I think, according to the scriptures, God has given to believers three essential things that will help them to thrive as Christians in a hostile world. First, he's giving to this people the church a body of believers to fellowship with. Second is his word and prayer. I think the other one is that friend who sticks closer than a brother. And I think there's any direct commands to that last one in the scriptures, but I think it's there implicitly through stories. I mean, not only does Proverbs consider it wise to have that kind of person in your life, but you have examples of it in the scriptures. You have David and Jonathan. Naomi had Ruth. Jesus had Peter, James, and John. Paul had Barnabas. And Ruth, and Ruth, Ruth wanted to follow Naomi, right? Naomi lost everything. She was widowed. She commanded Naomi to. She commanded Ruth to, to go. You're still young. You're widowed. I know, but you can go. You're still young. You can still be married. Have a family. Pursue your own life. But I love how Ruth responded. In one sixteen, Ruth said, "Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you, for where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God." That kind of commitment, that kind of dedication, that's what we want, that's what we should desire for when we're looking for somebody who will stick closer to us than a brother. Another question to ask yourself is, do you desire to be that kind of person for someone else? We're all after the same thing, and that is to cross the finish line. And having these things, church, daily, word, and prayer, and having this one friend that sticks closer to another, we need these three things if we're going to cross the finish line. And I certainly believe in John chapter 6 that those whom God has given to Jesus, Jesus will never lose, that God keeps those whom he died for. But at the same time, the Bible also tells us that we must work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. And so if you want to cross, cross that finish line, then I would encourage you to evaluate your life with regards to these things and make sure that you are tapping into the means of grace that God has given to us.
for some, it might make the difference between crossing the finish line exhausted, but still with some vigor, or crossing the finish line with the, with the skin of your teeth. For some, it might be crossing the finish line or not crossing the finish line at all. God knows that we need other people. That is why he's giving each one of us to his family. The family of God is a place where we can be authentic about our struggles because we know that none of us is perfect except Jesus Christ, who is perfect. But even though he is perfect, he still doesn't cast us away or remove himself from our presence. But even with our perfections, our imperfections, he still draws near to us and still beckons us to draw near to him because he loves us and he wants to conform us, not just our outer man, but our inner man especially. He wants to conform it into his very image. And that lends itself to us being transparent with one another. And it also lends itself to our also being trying to be encouraging to others and being that companion that came to Christian's aid in Pilgrim's Progress who came and helped him out of the pit. So that's what we, what God has given us to. And that's what we ought to strive for. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the wonderful and the mysterious ways that you continue to work in our lives to conform us into the image of Jesus Christ. And Lord, we admit that there is so much work to be done, more than we are probably aware of. But we thank you for being so patient with us, for being so gracious. And being so forgiving. Lord, help us by your Holy Spirit. Help us to come to you. You already know what we are like. You already know our struggles. You already know our sins. And yet you still call us to yourself. Help us to come to you. Help us to desire to be more like Christ. Help us to invite others into our lives to help us to become more like Christ. Help us to be that friend towards others that will help others become more like Christ. So we, we ask that you would help us in these ways. Continue your work in us individually, but also corporately as the body of Christ. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Church, let's stand. Let's sing one more song of worship in response of today's message. Oh, church, arise. How fitting. Amen. My pick. Here we go.
Let's sing together. Oh, church. Oh, church, arise. Put your armor on. Hear the call of Christ our captain. For now the weak can say that they are strong in the strength that God has given. With shield of faith and belt of truth, we'll stand against the devil's lies. An army bold, battle cry is love, reaching out to those in darkness. Our call. Our call to war, to love the captive soul, but to rage against the captor. And with the sword that makes the wounded whole, we will fight with faith in valor. When faced with trials on every side, we know the outcome is serious, Lord. And Christ will have the prize for which he died, an inheritance of nations. Come see, come see the cross where love and mercy meet. Has the Son of God is stricken, and see his ghost crush beneath his feet for the conqueror. Yes, Lord, and as the stone is rolled away, and Christ emerges from the grave, his victory march continues till the day. Every heart shall see him. Lord, so spirit, spirit, come, put strength in every stride, give grace for every hurdle, that we may run with faith to win the prize of the serving good and faithful. Saints of old, still find the way, retelling triumphs of his grace. We hear their calls, hunger for the day, when with Christ we stand in Let's sing this one more time as a church and believing it. Has saints of old still lie the way, retelling triumphs of His grace? We hear, we hear their calls and hunger for the day when with Christ we stand in glory. Praise the Lord. Father, you are good. And today, God, I, I pray, Lord, that you may lead us. Lead us, Lord, as we just heard today's sermon, Lord, as we examine our lives, as we conform our hearts to reflect Christ, Lord, in sanctification. Uh, so, Lord, we ask that you may remove, remove our masks, Lord, and make us vulnerable uh, by humbling our, our, our inner man, Lord, to be transparent and eventually, Lord, leading us to repentance. God, I pray that you may bring us to a place of contentment along with that, Lord, and help us to follow you. 
Father, may we strive to honor and please you in our, in our attitude, our desires, our relationships, our lives, in all things. And may you graciously, Father, do this work uh, in, the, in the hearts of your people, in your church. Uh, I ask you this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Word of God says that let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father through him. Church, God bless you. You're dismissed. Amen. Thank you.